Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Hey, for those of you who are guests with us, we have been studying for months through the book of John, and today we're going to pause for a few weeks, and we're going to do something very different. Now, this is kind of an annual activity for us at Two Cities Church. What we're going to try to do is answer questions live during the service. So for those of you who are following along by YouTube or Facebook or on our live channel, even in this room, if you'll go ahead and bring up one of those uh, sources, you can put a question in the chat today during this service. And before we're done, we're going to try to answer those questions for you. Let me tell you why this is really important to us, because we believe that every honest question deserves an honest answer. There have been periods of time in church history where you didn't get to ask a question. In fact, you were wrong for asking a question. And what we want you to know is it's good to try to figure out your faith. So by all means, fire away, because today we're going to tackle some really, really big subjects. The sermon series that we're going to do for the next couple of weeks is talking about challenges that we all face. We call it swimming in stormy seas. And the stormy seas that we're talking about specifically are human relationships. Look, I wish we could just make all of the storms go away, but only Jesus can calm the storms of life. What we want to try to do for you for the next couple of weeks is we want to try to answer how do you swim through stormy relationships. And some of you have already sent questions in. You sent some amazing questions, and we've started to build out what the next few weeks look like. We're going to tackle questions like, hey, how do I have deep relationships when we disagree with one another? Hey, what does it look like when the person in the seat next to me has a very different political opinion than I do? How do we do church like that? How do we handle difficulties in life groups when we don't agree on sanctity of life or on sexual ethics issues? How do we get close to one another? And today, we're going to tackle some big ones, and I'm going to hit the beginning of this sermon at a sprint so that I can clear out as much room as possible for the two uh, rock stars that I brought up on stage today. Let me kind of explain to you how today's sermon is going to go, and if at any point you have questions, send those in the um, notes in YouTube, Facebook, or on our live channel. Here's the truth. When you start to get close to people in the church, you're going to notice that there are three different types of relationships. I want to refer to these three relationships as boundaries that you're going to have to deal with or three different kind of levels of relationship. The first level are kind of a block across the block relationships. Now, right here, we're broadcasting from the Chattahoochee Valley in Columbus, Georgia. And there are people that are right across the street from us. And theologically, this is what I mean by across the block. Theologically, we're really, really, really close. We may practically do things a little bit different, but we're theologically really close. When you start to get close to people in church, you're going to notice some differences. And those differences aren't bad. They're actually quite good. In fact, 
Jesus expected it to happen that way. He even challenged us in John chapter 17, Father, I'm praying for my people because what the world needs to see is a united church. What I'm praying is that they would be one. And here's what Galatians chapter six describes. When two brothers and sisters start to get close to one another, first, you're gonna carry one another's burdens. Would you say the word burden out loud? Because according to the Bible, Carrying your brother or sister's burden is the way that you fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus was challenged by some lawyers, and there were more than 600 different laws in Jesus' day. And the lawyers said, hey, Jesus, which one of these is the most important law? And he's like, duh, that's easy. I'll give you that one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the most important law. But, oh, here's another one that you lawyers may want to consider. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus makes this fascinating statement. If you will do these two things, love Jesus and love your neighbors, you will fulfill all the law. And what Galatians is saying is when you start to love your neighbor, you're going to realize they're going through some stuff. And they're going to realize you're going through some stuff. And it's our job as believers to carry one another's burdens. The first level of relationship are the people that you're very, very close to practically and theologically. And I call them across the block because they're kind of like your neighbor right across the street. We're not that far away from each other. But there are other kind of relationships. I refer to these as across the bridge relationships. Now, we're in the Chattahoochee Valley. These two different cities in two different states in two different time zones. We're on the Columbus, Georgia side of the river, but when you cross the bridge, you go into where? You're in Alabama now, you're in a different state, and you're in a different time zone. And theologically, the Christian church has some very significant differences from one another. These are denominational kind of differences. These are where you just crossed over a bridge into a different state and a different time zone. We're still believers in the same God, but you're very different than I am. And here's the truth, y'all. We're about to tackle. I'm not. These two uh, geniuses on the stage are about to tackle five really, really hard, really complex challenges that each one of them deserve an entire month of sermons and whole denominations have got mad and left one another over any one, let alone all five of these areas, which means there's room for disagreement. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's room for disagreement among Christians on these type of questions. We can disagree with one another, but we don't have to be ugly about it. We don't have to be disagreeable about it. And here's the way Amos reminded us. Can two people walk together without agreeing to meet? Like, how are we supposed to do life together in life groups at Two Cities Church when we are way different from one another on some of these issues? Now I'm going to stop talking, and I'm going to give as much time as possible to Pastor Troy Singleton, the executive pastor here, and Pastor Chris Poirier. For those of you who weren't with us the first year of our church, Chris and his wife, Rebecca, helped us plant and launch Two Cities Church. And he came to the Chattahoochee Valley feeling called by God to start a church. And a year in, 
Chris and Rebecca stepped away and they planted River Valley Church and I'm bringing him back to help us with some of these topics. So now I'm gonna sit in the middle. You guys got your mics on? Because we're gonna tackle some of the questions that have already come in and these are questions that you have been working on a few answers for. Chris, I'm gonna start with you on question number one. Actually, I'm gonna um, kick question number one to Troy. Um, Christians disagree on the Sabbath. When is the Sabbath? What are we supposed to do on the Sabbath? Can we hang out with friends or do we have to go to church all day long and just sing songs to Jesus? Troy, uh, give us your thoughts and Chris, jump in anytime you want on the Christian Sabbath. As we know, the seventh day of the week is Saturday. And for centuries, it was worship on a Saturday. And, but through the years, after the fifth century, around the second centuries, after the apostles, had died and passed on, um, the church started to shift. So at first they started having service on Saturdays and the Sundays, and then as it continued to progress, you had some folks that were anti-Jewish, so they shifted worship from Saturday to Sunday. So it's believed that it started on March the 7th, 321 AD, um, by some political leaders <laughs> who changed it through edicts, and that's how we ended up worshiping on Sundays. So when they created worship for Sunday, it would be a day of work and worship. So some people would go to work and then it would be slash worship throughout that, that day. And just to, just to let you know what they mean by work, not so much strenuous work. And the worship was supposed to be where you just dedicating that day to God. Um, you really not doing anything that's, that's heavy lifting or anything that's strenuous to do, but spending that day to refresh yourself to get ready for the work week. And a lot of, a lot of people do that and they don't go to church. They just take the whole day to rest to get ready for work. So that's how it was designed and it was, it was started. And the shift wasn't like, all right, we're going to start next Sunday and start going to church on Sunday. It was gradual. And just through the years and through the centuries, it started to move um, from Saturday to Sunday for everyone. Okay, I'm just dying that. to know this. March the 7th is the exact date because that's the anniversary of my birthday. I'm just saying they picked the awesome day for this. Um, Chris, can I mow the lawn or rake the leaves on Sunday? I don't know about all of you, but I have to go home and mow my lawn after this. So, um, Your thoughts on the yeah, Sabbath. So <laughs> for me, it's one of those particular issues that, yes, we are obviously called to a Sabbath. For we see in the creation story, going all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, we see God worked for six straight days, and then even God said, there has to be a day of rest. If it's good enough for God, if Jesus tells us that this is so, clearly this is something that is important to him and should be important to us. But is it always Sunday per the scripture? I think that's where, that's one of those things that we can look to the scripture and go, is it always Sunday? As we heard technically from the pathway of history, it was Saturday. And then what was that magical word? Politics um, made us gravitate from point A to point B that I think this is one of those issues where we come to a position where what is the heart of the matter? Yeah. In the heart of worship, the I said it, worship. The heart of Sabbath is worship, that God finds joy in rest. 
and that that is something we're called to, and that means that we can clear our plate. And whenever we clear our plate, it means we can focus entirely upon him. Okay, so real quickly, for the denomination that says you have to, as a Christian, worship on the Sabbath, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, and you're wrong if you don't go to worship on that day, how would you respond? That's a tricky one because I also found out that the New Testament don't endorse this, this change from Saturday to Sunday. But I would say, does that, on the grand scheme of things, does that really matter? Is worshiping on Saturdays going to be such a stickler when you get to heaven and God going to say, well, you worship me, but you worship me on the wrong day? I don't see him saying that. <laughs> Fire away, man. I, I, think, I think this is one of those things where I can't, if you're in with us at River Valley or you sit in our life group, I say this a lot, that there's a lot of issues within the Bible that once we get to heaven, there's going to be a line that has a little sign that says pastors, theologians, or just inquisitive minds. And it's going to be all of us that are like, I don't remember seeing this anywhere in the Bible, but I have to know before eternity, what is the answer? And God's going to be like, come here for like 15 minutes. Yeah. And we're going to knock this out. Um, that scripture in some places truly doesn't give us the entire outlier, but if the heart of the matter matters, then let's focus on that, and that means we can fellowship with yeah. folks because this isn't one of those things that differentiates whether we believe in Christ. So, yeah, yeah, so this is a great start. You can see that denominations are different than one another on this one, but both believe in Jesus, both have a very biblical and very solid faith, but maybe not necessarily agree on this one, which means there's room in the Bible for you to disagree a little bit with a brother. It also means that this is an across-the-bridge issue. It's not a small issue, and it can be challenging. So we're just going to go from out of the frying pan and into the fire. Let's talk baptism for a second, Chris. How do you do this? When do you do this? Who should do this? Uh, get things started. But by the way, on the screens, y'all, you see lots of scripture references, and there are 50 more references that we could have put, but these are some seminal passages that you may want to go back and look at on each one of these topics. Chris, get us started on baptism. So as we've said... Each one of these things could be something that we talk about for an entire sermon, an entire series. So, yes, we're trying to give you kind of the guideposts of some of the conversation. Uh, Which say, is dangerous, <laughs> by the way. What we're doing is very dangerous. Sorry to interrupt you. At the same time, you said Rockstar and Genius, and I'm trying to fill this, so thanks. Um, but so you might have heard in multiple different iterations that baptism is a requirement. It's a requirement of faith. It's regenerative. What, what do all these things mean that, yes, thank you. We went from should we work and mow the lawn after church to um, what is the proper modality and whether baptism actually is salvific in itself. <laughs> Big words right there. Yep. Told um, forgot my thesaurus this morning, but that's fine. Um, so we want to look at some of the important things. There are people, there are faiths that are going to tell you that it's not just following Christ. It's not just doing what we were told. We know what the Great Commission says. You see it up there in Matthew 28, that he tells us not just the disciple to one another, but to baptize, baptize one another, that it's an important piece. But there are faiths that believe if you don't go under the water and come back up, you are not saved. Um, so that's why this is one of those complicated issues that is, is that so? For a lot of us as evangelicals, though, we can look to the scriptures, and between Matthew and Mark early on, we see the baptisms of Christ himself. So we see the process. He literally shows us an example mm -hmm. where John 
uh, the Baptist actually baptizes him, and we can see that. But then it transitions further into, he says, this is important um, in the Great Commission where he tells us to do so. And then as we flow through the rest of it, stories in Acts and Romans actually give us more of the instruction to what is this, what does this mean? We see sections of scripture where we specifically see that it is after faith in Christ that we are baptized. So we know that this is obviously an important aspect of baptism, but we also see that it is a conversation about a public announcement of our faith, that it's not one of those issues of you have to go beneath the water and come back up to be saved. Our focus is purely upon the reality of who Christ is and inviting him in, <laughs> it's, it's knowing who he is. Baptism is the obedience piece of the Great Commission mm -hmm. and showing that pro pro proclamation to the rest of the world. So it's, it's by no means a simple issue, but we see lots of scripture that shows, by example, the instructions that we actually will be immersed in the water and yeah. come back up. In John's baptism, we specifically hear of Christ coming back out of the water because then we get into the issues of is infant baptism in the Bible? Is sprinkling okay? Does that count? You hear that one a lot. Um, and we see just a ton of scripture that kind of puts us all over the place. So that's why I literally just tried to condense an hour conversation in baptism into three minutes. <laughs> and Troy, why don't you go ahead and jump in right here? The thing I found out as well, when Jesus did it, he took on our sin doing his baptism when John the Baptist baptized him, he took on the sin of humanity. So when he went to John, he was, in a sense, carrying the sins of humanity. And when John baptized him and he arose, that's when the, the Holy Spirit really kind of took precedence in his life and kind of was instrumental in how Jesus moved after that in, in what he did moving, moving on from there. So denominations are all over the map on this one. Even the denominations that have the word baptism in their name are all over the map on this one. Obviously, you start to go close to other believers in a life group that when baptism shows up, don't be surprised when you're all over the map with each other on this one because that's the way it's been for a couple of thousand years. All right, we're going to go from baptism. We're going to transition to communion. By the way, guys, make sure you hold the microphone close enough to your mouth that we can get good audio on you. Who does uh, communion? What happens at communion? Why do we do communion? Chris, why don't you go ahead and get us started on this one? Because I came here to do the easy topics this weekend. <laughs> um, so both of what are typically referred to as ordinances in a lot of evangelical Christianity are baptism and communion as two things that we do to specifically show our faith or to do something in acknowledgement of who Christ is. Communion is another one of those issues that across the spectrum, we see a lot of different things where if we go to a Catholic church or to anything that aligns in mainline Catholicism, they're going to talk about things like transubstantiation, see another big word, um, and the realities of Christ being physically in the elements as you take them. So when they say take the this bread and the break body it, of Christ. they, they, really mean, they that's mean literally, body. yes. Um, and so they talk through that process. But for us, we can go to a lot of scripture and show again where we, Christ literally told us and showed us, uh, instructed us what the process was and what it means. So we see that in Matthew 26 and Mark, 
and Luke, all the Gospels walk us through that because we see that at the literal Last Supper where he is showing us the importance of how we can remember what is to come. And that's just one of those fascinating things about communion in general is he's telling them what's about to happen before it happens. Mm -hmm. And now as we gather as a church, we're called to remembrance, right? And it's just like he's letting them know, A, he's telling them about what's to come. We know what happens in the story. But then we can be part of the process as well. And then 1 Corinthians gives us more of kind of the breakdown of what that means. But for us as evangelicals, it really is about, again, this process of partaking in something that Christ has explained and to... I don't like the word tribute. It's partially true, but it's much more, there's much more depth to the meaning of communion in terms of this is, it is a moment that we can come together as a body with one another, but also directly with our Lord, that it is just amazing thing. But you do have to know that there are other denominations out there that are taking this process extremely literal. Um, and that's why when you go to a Catholic church, they're also going to typically ask that you are of the Catholic faith if you are to participate in the table. Not just whether you are a believer, it's a, if you're not picking up what we're putting down, then please don't do this. Yeah. Um, so that, that could be complicated for sure. us in terms of um, fellowshipping with someone that's across the bridge, right? Because we, that one, the river can be fairly significant, right. but for, the rest of reality between us as denominations, we're on par with what we believe and who we believe. Troy, um, the Bible says, as Chris just mentioned, people can take this very literally. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And some people think that means you got to do this every single time you come together. How often are we supposed to do this? I didn't tell him that I was going to hit him with this one. <laughs> you can do this many times as you like. Is someone doing it? every day you could take communion every day but i came from a denomination the african methodist episcopal church and of course method is one of the critical words in that and they have a long process there's of, a method to this yes it's a method to going Methodism. through it from the minister standpoint to um, the members and from all of that, I grasp that they value the importance of making sure you're right with God prior to taking that communion. So they stress that you examine yourself, you make sure there's anything that you holding against someone, and we all know that forgiveness for you is not the same for me. What I mean by that is you may be able to forgive someone as soon as they commit an offense against you. Someone else it may take them five minutes, 10 minutes, or an hour. Or some are being that service I have been in services where someone declined to take communion because they weren't in the right spirit with their brothers and sisters. So it was either someone in the church or someone that offended them yesterday and they just, they just haven't come to grips with that. So they'll refrain uh, from taking communion because they didn't want to risk taking it in vain and taking the Lord's Supper, which represents what he did on the cross and have that offense against them, so they refrain. So that was a huge um, process for us. That, by the way, we would commend anybody. We would applaud you if you said, you know what, something's not right in my spirit. I don't think I could do that, uh, do communion this time. I need to go get that thing right and then come back and do communion with the church or with God's people next time because that's exactly what Jesus challenges us to do. 
Listen, guys, what we're saying here is that Christianity differs from one another, and these differences aren't minor. They're all the way across the river into a new state and a different time zone kind of differences, but we're still believers, and we are we're tackling, now we're just going to go to some really controversial questions. So, Troy, can a believer drink alcohol? Is it a sin? Oh, somebody in the crowd has already given an answer to go for it. No. No, it's a sin. No, or it's no, not they a can't sin. Drink? No, it's not a sin um, to drink alcohol. I searched and searched. Um, the Bible is explicit in its talk on alcohol, um, about drinking. And, but the thing is, you need to consider three questions before um, taking a, a drink. You consider. One is, will this damage my Christian image? Will my drinking cause another Christian to stumble? Is my drinking becoming an addiction? So if you can answer all three of those questions, no, you will within your, your right to drink. Now, with that being said, you have to ensure that you don't sit there and down just a case of beer or a bottle of wine where you come to the point where you just intoxicated, you're not yourself um, in that matter. Because in the scriptures, as y'all can see on the screen, um, scripture talk about Paul telling Timothy, it's all right to drink wine, it, it settles the stomach. So it is some, some health risks to some of the drinks that we have access to, but we have to be mindful um, of doing it. So you can do it, but you have to consider those three questions. If you can say no to those three questions, um, you are within in your right to drink. I applaud these brothers for tackling really hard questions and not running away from them. And by the way, some of you sent in these questions. Chris, is drunkenness a sin? If I can drink, can I get fallen down drunk? I think this is actually another example of where the scripture is incredibly clear that this is the sin. The excess is the sin. Because when you get to excess, we can look at other things like we know, and the Catholics would say that one of the seven deadly sins is gluttony. So the issue of doing something to excess makes that thing an idol. It replaces God. If we are doing something that we are replacing our mindfulness into a substance, into something else, then we are taking our attention away from the one who demands our worship. Who, and we're, what is the sole purpose of a Christian, of a follower of Christ? It's to, to glorify bring God. glory to the Father. So if you're not bringing glory to God, then, hmm. So that's, that's where I end up as well on the issue is that drunkenness is absolutely the issue. That is typically the word as in interpreted um, that Paul is talking about is it is an issue of excess. What I just heard you say, and this is fascinating, is I have the freedom in Christ to take a drink of alcohol unless it's going to do damage to my faith or to my, my reputation with my brother or damage to uh, a brother or sister around me. However, 
if I take my freedom in Christ too far, my freedom in Christ itself can become an idol, and I'll put my hands on my hips and say, I'll drink as much as I want. You guys can't be, tell me I can't, and that alone would be an idol, let alone getting fallen down drunk and getting poured into the backseat of a taxi on your way home that, uh, as a believer when other people in the room who are alcoholics are struggling with a believer taking a drink. See how touchy this gets? See how challenging? Do you see how stormy the seas are that we're swimming in when believers start to get together and go deep with one another? And now while we're on it, let's just go ahead and get into it. How about women? Can they preach? Chris? Seriously. The issue of women preaching is probably literally one of those as old as time itself and the Bible itself. And denominationally, we are going to all disagree at great levels. So I need to preface this with a lot of things. Um, First and foremost being the reality that we see from the dawn of creation that God created male and female for a specific purpose, that we are joined as partners, that we are to be side by side throughout this journey together, which does not mean that one is necessarily above the other, but we complement one each mm-hmm. other in the reality of our creation. I guess this is where the butt is. Now for here some, we go. For some All right. evangelicals. Now that you've heard the disclaimer, here we go. Um, when we go to 1 Timothy 3, um, which everyone either groaned or went, yay, because that's literally where the argument tends to unfold, we see Paul's explanation for the qualifications of overseer, preacher, elder, etc. And we see the language that is used throughout uh, 1 Timothy 3. And we can see that the overseer and preacher is called to a different position within the church. But I get to put another but in this sentence and put a comma in it and say, but he didn't say that that doesn't mean that women can't teach under, we, all of us ultimately are teaching and preaching under authority. Um, so there are issues that are within that. We see throughout Acts that men and women were sent to the field to proclaim Jesus, to teach the realities of the gospel. We see examples throughout the New Testament of strong women that led other folks to places. We see Priscilla and Aquila and the issues with Apollo. We see, I mean, we can even go to the Old Testament and we see strong elements in Deborah and in Esther and so forth that we know that there is a balance here. But there's going to be a stark difference between a lot of different, even evangelical communities on what that truly means. Uh, For me personally, uh, we end up in a position that I think the under authority issue is the core issue for us. That I, she's gonna shoot me, but it's fine. I'm married to a woman that I know has a very powerful teaching gift and is very strong and wonderful in leading and teaching the Bible that I sit here because of the Holy Spirit and because he placed that woman in my life. I didn't go to church if a Rebecca didn't show up in my life. So it's in, I find that it's really important to show that we know that there are examples of strong women in faith that are doing exactly what God has called them to do. Troy? Totally agree with Chris. I wouldn't have been here either without a strong woman by my side. Um, I was, when we were talking about this, I shared with them when we went to Fort Raleigh, my first duty station, my wife just immediately stopped going to church and she would say, hey, you come in? I'm like, no, I'm not going. And she just, after a while, she just left me alone and stopped pressuring me to go to church. And then one morning, I just got up with her and stopped going and, and have been going ever since. So in the, in the Bible, when it talks about 
these positions with men and women, it goes back to Adam and Eve. And it said God created man first, and he created man to be the provider and the protector. There's no spot husband and wife in here that someone break into your home, your wife is going to get up and run to the door. Your, the husband's going to go. He's going to be that protector for his wife and his kids. He's going to go. And they um, had the woman as the nurturer and helper. And it stressed the point that because they have different roles, don't make the man's role better than the woman's role. It don't make her less than him. She just has different abilities than he has. He has strength that he don't have, and so on and so forth. So we have to kind of keep that in mind. And another, a lot of things, like Chris said, we went through hours and hours of videos and, and reading material that you can go and look up as well that we narrated down for you. And it um, says that the, when God was, when Jesus was speaking in the New Testament about the roles of who does, who's apostle, who's to do this, he kept saying he, 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 he. So that's why they have it this way. And they, a lot of people feel that, that women shouldn't pastor or lead a church in that way because of where, how Jesus framed it in the New Testament. Just so you guys know, I'm exactly where these two are on this issue, but denominationally, the Christian church is all over the map on this one as well, which means when you start to grow close to one another in a life group, chances are that group is going to be all over the map. Listen, y'all, we just listed stuff that there are hundreds of books and videos and articles on, and at the bottom of your mobile app, click on today's sermon. And right after the next steps, you see a hyperlink to a button that says download today's resources or download uh, additional resources. We put videos, we put articles, we put books. If you want to read more about any one of these topics, download that resource. Go and look at some of those materials. It's stuff that you can trust. There's a hilarious video by SpongeBob about the different Christian denominations. And I love this video because it makes fun of all of them, including mine. Um, so go check it out. Entire denominations are across the river and over the bridge from one another on this. And Jeff, it sounds to me like you're saying you can believe whatever you want and still get into heaven. Is that right? No. Because here's the truth. There are some borders. When you cross that border, it doesn't matter if you have Jesus Christ in the name of your church, you're not a Christian. And those borders are what makes us one, even though we differ from one another, we're still in the same country. When you cross over that country boundary, you're in a totally different country, you're no longer a believer. And I get this directly from 1 John when he's writing about this border. He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. He's warning us to have hard conversations, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then listen to this. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ is from God. This is the spirit of, look at this word, the Antichrist. And by the way, 2,000 years ago, John said, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. 
And if you're saying, hey, Chris, Troy, Jeff, what are those boundaries that when you cross that line, you just crossed into a different country? Well, we can give them to you in five succinct statements. Here they are. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Problem is, some of those heretical faiths out there that are not Christian, they would use Son of God language. So I want to make it very clear. We're talking about not just the Son of God, but God who came in the flesh. Maybe the better way to say it is Jesus is God the Son. Secondly, you have to believe in a virgin birth. And I don't mean the denominations that teach God had sex with Mary and knocked her up and got her pregnant. I'm not being crude. That's literally what they believe. You have to believe that the Holy Spirit did a miracle and put a baby in this virgin's womb. You have to believe that Jesus was the sinless lamb. Not only was he the sinless son, but he was the lamb of God. And because he lived a perfect sinless life, you and I get into heaven on credit for what Jesus has done. You believe in a bodily resurrection. I hate to have to say this, but people try to wiggle their way around this after a physical death, which means he didn't just pass out. He wasn't in shock and his heart rate lowered. That man literally died on the cross. They took him off of the cross and they laid him in a grave. And three days later, he came out of that cross alive. And when he came out alive, he demonstrated he and he alone has the power over your life, your death, and your resurrection. And finally, you have to believe that his blood sacrifice is the only way to salvation. Listen to me carefully, which means you can't be good enough or work hard enough, which is what many denominations are teaching. You can't be good enough or work hard enough to earn your way into heaven. It is purchased for you by the blood of Jesus, and it is a free gift if you will fall on your knees and say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner, and I don't deserve heaven, but I believe you love me, and you didn't want to leave me in my sin. And maybe somebody who's watching right now has been trying to be a good boy or a good girl and hoping that at the end of my life, my good is going to outweigh my bad and God's going to let me into heaven. That is a heresy and a lie straight from hell. And maybe what you're hearing today is, it doesn't work like that. But Jesus loves you. And he didn't leave you in your sin. So he came on this rescue mission to get you, to clean you up, and to make you acceptable. And it's only possible by you making this radical surrender. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And then maybe some of you sent some live questions in. We're going to try to tackle some of those live questions. I'm going to pray for somebody who's watching right now who needs to start this relationship with Jesus for the first time. I'm going to pray for somebody who needs to start getting in relationship with other believers, getting connected in a life group. I'm going to pray for people that are in our life groups that you wouldn't settle for shallow because that's not what God wants for his people. He wants us to have the kind of oneness that he had with the son and that you wouldn't saddle, settle for shallow relationships which means sparks are going to fly and the seas will get stormy but you'll make the decision I'm going to swim in those stormy seas instead of running away we hope you enjoyed this message don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes have a great week